702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. On the show today, the latest in the load shedding situation. We'll look at the outlook for the rest of the year. The DA's John Steenhazen is at the port of Durban as the congestion there continues. The NSRI warns of a full moon spring high tide. The HSRC releases its HIV study findings and will wrap up the weekend sports. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy. Great to be with you on this Monday. Let's uh, talk about that lead story in Eyewitness News, hey? This little scuffle that's happened in the Senzo Miyua trial. There's been a trial within a trial in, in the Senzo Miyua trial for days and days and days on end. And finally, there's been a little flurry of, of activity. Um, uh, what seems to have happened is the warders and the um, accused have got into a scuffle. Uh, I would describe it as a scuffle. There was an attempted punch. There was definitely some handbags and some shoving and pulling Um and uh, it looks like there was some unhappiness over where the men were seated. Uh, but let's go straight to Homoto Mudise, EWN reporter who was in court there. Homoto, good afternoon to you. Talk us through what happened, because this happened during, um, during one of the breaks, right? The court wasn't actually in session. That's right, Mandy. So it happened during the tea adjournment. And this usually, you know, is the case here in the Pretoria High Court, where the accused will change their seating positions when court is not in session. What happened this time uh, is that one of the accused, that um, Mapisa, who's the fourth accused, changed how he was sitting. He then sat uh, almost on top of the bench. Um, and this is a, you know, I've seen him sit like this multiple times, especially when court is not in session. Um, and, and so it seems one of the, the, the prison warders then uh, had a problem with that. And, and, and it, you know, I saw him walk towards the accused and told him to walk down the stairs back down uh, to the holding cells. One of the accused then asked, what are we leaving? Aren't we just on a break? Are we leaving? And then he said, no, I said, walk down. And then at that point, um, he then tried to get the other, uh, one of the other accused who was sitting on the far end to move down. And then we saw the third accused, um, Carlos Mube, then saying, you know, saying the words, meaning we will give you a hiding if you come here or if you continue to do this. And then that's when it got physical. Uh, but I think, you know, the build up here, at first, it really just seemed, Mandy, like they were having a verbal exchange, but it built up really quickly. And tempers fled really fast. And before we knew it, you know, there were punches um, being thrown. Uh, but calm has been restored now in the Pretoria High Court. I've watched the replay and the video multiple times now of, of what happened, but you obviously saw it uh, firsthand, uh, Hamoto. Uh, how, how would you describe it? Uh, was it a fist fight, a scuffle? Uh, well, how serious was it? I think it was rather serious, you know. It took uh, a number of police officers to actually break the fight. Um, you know, it's more, I think it's more than a scuffle. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it seems, I think at the point where there were punches being thrown, uh, then I, you, know, you could establish that this is rather serious and it has the potential of turning um, rather violent. And I think that's why more correctional services officials then moved towards the group there and removed the one member uh, who was you know, in the middle of this fight. And what did the judge have to say about this? I'm sure he did not take lightly to this kind of behaviour in his courtroom. Not at all. You know, when the, the, uh, the matter reconvened, we heard State Advocate George Baloy calling 
uh, or actually at least addressing the court on what happened. He's called it a scuffle, um, and he, he said that you know um, he must put it on record what happened during the adjournment. And then we then saw uh, one of the well, the actual water, the water who was in this fight with the accused, being called to um, detail exactly what happened. But before that. Uh, the legal representatives to all the accused were asked what happened. And it seems the story that's coming from all of them is that, you know, they they were in, um, it was during the adjournment, and nothing out of the ordinary has happened. They point out that this is how the men usually sit before the matter is heard. And they even point out how, you know, they were stretching because um, they they are they have the chains, right, um, uh, on, their, on their feet throughout the proceedings, throughout the day. So whenever they get the opportunity to stretch during adjournment, they take it. And so we heard advocates saying uh, it was at the point where the warder then pushed uh, the accused, and that's when it became physical. So the judge was given that report. The warder in question, however, has said that this is not new. He has spoken to the men before about sitting accordingly. He wants it to be more of a formal sitting, even though court is not in session. And he says that, you know, he's even worked out his book, Mandy, where he made notes of the day where he had spoken to them about the way that they're sitting in court. The judge uh, saying he's not going to make a formal finding on this, uh, but he has said that everyone should um, conduct themselves in an orderly manner. He's referred to the criminal procedure act around decorum in court. But I think what was interesting for me, Mandy, is when the judge referred to physical fights and saying there's no need for us to have those physical fights that we've seen in Parliament. It's really interesting to hear how <laughs> parliamentarians are being compared to the accused here in court. Khumotsu Modise, EWN reporter from the Senzo Miwa trial there. Thank you very much. What does that say about us if a judge in a criminal trial compares the accused and, and what happened in court today with parliamentarians and the way that they conduct themselves in, in parliament? That really does speak to the caliber of, of individual and, and how our elected officials conduct themselves in, in parliament. We know that there has in the last week been that finding against the EFF uh, leadership about how they've conduct, conducted themselves in, in parliament as well. So that's the latest from the Senzo Miwa trial. Uh, fisticuffs. Uh, the court has now adjourned. Uh, it did look like things got quite serious there for a while. Uh, this trial still going on and on. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Plenty of consternation at the weekend about the electricity situation in the country. Some suggestions that we went as far as stage eight. The electricity minister, Josien Soramahopa, Dr. Josien Soramahopa, insisting that that was not the case. Uh, he's also optimistically predicted that there will be days without load shedding next year. He's also been speaking about what we can accept, uh, expect going into December and what that load shedding situation is going to look like. Is this a solvable situation? What are our expectations? Matthew Cruz from Home Energy joining us now. Matthew, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, we have seen the country descend into um, stage six. Some are suggesting stage eight. The minister argues otherwise. A lot of this has been the contribution by breakdowns, also the heat situation in the country. Uh, how do you, what, are your, your, what is your reaction, shall I say, to what the minister had to say yesterday and what we can expect towards the end of the year? Great. Well, thank you for having me on the show and uh, hello to your listeners. So to address uh, one of the things that was spoken about in terms of stage eight, uh, it's very interesting that uh, ESCOM is still not officially announced that it's gone to stage eight yet. In terms of how much megawatts it has shed from the grid, it technically has gone into stage eight a few times without implementing the stage eight hours. 
Um, what happened over the last week, however, is that stage eight was actually implemented in terms of the hours within the city of Johannesburg metropolitan. And that was um, a result of the city of Joburg's error um, taking over the load shedding schedule from ESCOM and then not really being ready to implement such high stages at the time. So we have actually had stage eight load shedding hours implemented in the city of Joburg. Um, in terms of what the minister was saying for load shedding going forward, I must say at this point that I don't agree with his projection for the future. It seems the minister is always very optimistic and in my opinion, overly optimistic about how the future is going to go in terms of load shedding reducing. And I unfortunately, according to the, the experience that I have being in ESCOM for the last, um, I, I was in ESCOM for 11 years and saw what's going on, the continually declining energy validity factor of the power stations is the key factor that's driving this load shedding. And that continues to decline. And it's a six-year trend that's just carrying on going. So I actually see load shedding being the same next year as it was this year and going forward for the next five years, unfortunately. What, what do the next five years look like? And what is the, the, the potential solutions around this? Because it's interesting that there has been capacity added to the grid through private solar, through um, the private sector uh, implementing uh, solar quite widely. So um, what, what, are, what are the mm-hmm. potential solutions over the next few years? Great. So yeah, so it's great you mentioned the, the solar solution, and that's one of the things that we've seen happening in the country is that the private industry, uh, part of which uh, Home Energy represents, has responded very well to this energy crisis and actually started to solve the energy crisis by being twice as effective as government in terms of installing generation capacity. And so um, when we talk about that, we look at the 4,400 megawatts that ESCOM has confirmed has come down from private sector onto rooftops and businesses that is really helping with reducing load shedding by four stages. And if that hadn't have happened, we might have even seen stage 10 recently. So there's a lot going on in, in um, the private sector. And one of the things that we're doing at Home Energy is we're offering 5,000 Rand cash back for people that are keen to get solar in December. And then you only start paying for your subscription, solar subscription service from January onwards. So that's an example of how private industry is rising to the occasion of the failings of government. And going forward for the next five years, I actually see those things increasing and having the same level that we've had this year for the next five right. years. We might have a bit of a dip next year, but mm. in five years' time, still having stage six loading being around. Matthew, thank you very much. Matthew Cruz from Home Energy speaking to us there about the electricity situation. Uh, what do you think about what Jose and Suramachopa had to say about uh, the load shooting situation, residents of Joburg, also the fact that we were put into stage eight, even though we were supposed to be in stage six. Lots of frustration from many people. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. There is still major congestion of cargo ships at the port of Durban. That's one of the largest shipping terminals in sub-Saharan Africa. We know the president uh, was in Richards Bay last week, also uh, at uh, the Durban port, having a look at the situation there. Uh, expectations are it could take months to solve this problem. Today, the DA leader, John Steenhazen, is conducting an oversight visit. He's taken a helicopter ride uh, to survey the congestion. He joins us now to speak about that. John, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What have you seen? at the port of Durban. Uh, good afternoon, Mandy. Good afternoon to all the listeners. You know, it's a crisis situation, Mandy. Um, long, long, long lines of ships waiting out at sea, um, going over the harbour, seeing gantries, seeing cranes, and seeing sidings and berth uh, areas that are not being utilised at all. And it's inconceivable that you've got such a long waiting queue, 60,000 containers waiting to come in to be offloaded, 
and your port is not operating at full potential. This has huge economic impact on South Africa. It's going to have a huge economic impact on retailers. And, of course, it's driving up the cost of all of these goods to consumers and also putting our economy at great risk as many, many people who are going to be shipping in future will look at other ports on the continent or other parts of the world to move goods through. Uh, as you say, economically, it has a huge impact. Anecdotally, I've heard so many retailers uh, telling me that they haven't been able to get stock in Christmas stock, as an example, Black Friday stock, all of this when we're trying to drive the economy and create uh, create jobs. Uh, John, it's great that you went to look at the situation, but wh- what can you suggest in terms of, of solutions? And do you get the sense that government is willing to, to take on advice in this issue? Well, yeah, certainly. And we uh, we believe that there's a number of things that could be done uh, immediately. And the first amongst these is to establish a special task team to deal with port congestion. And it's one of the suggestions we've been sending through to the presidency uh, that will bring together the private sector and international port uh, authorities and uh, agencies to come together with a plan to how we can immediately resolve this. The president um, did not do an inspection of the Durban port last week. He came to launch a cruise liner. Uh, and then promptly went off to Richards Bay. But what he, if he had done a, a, an oversight of the port, he would have seen very mm. clearly that there's a desperate need for private expertise and that retailers can't wait for next year uh, for heads to roll, as the president said. Secondly, we've called for Parliament to create an ad hoc committee, a joint ad hoc committee between public enterprises, finance um, and, uh, trans- and, and transport to be able to get to grips with the logistics crisis in the country. And thirdly, we're calling on the president to come to Parliament and take us into his confidence about what he plans to do with this thing. It's not good enough to stand up and threaten that heads are going to roll, that things are going to get better, because as you've just heard on the previous insert about the load-shedding crisis, we keep being told things are going to get better, but they're actually getting worse. And everything where government is running a monopoly is pushing us even further down into the economic hole and really compromising our ability to be able to grow our economy, create jobs and lift people out of poverty into some form of opportunity. Uh, John, you mentioned uh, the fact that the president went to the port of Durban. As you say, it was to open that terminal that has been constructed with the cooperation of MSC, the the cruise liner company. He did not do an inspection of the port of Durban. He did an inspection of the the port of Richards Bay. And one of the ironies there, of course, is that came uh, the same uh, week as the minister and the presidency uh, made comments about the private sector trying to collapse the government. The presidency was at pains to try and explain those comments. But how important is it that we are seeing this collaboration with the private sector, like we've seen with MSC uh, at the Port of Durban, and just generally with the different work streams that are taking place? Uh, How important is it that the private sector steps in here? It is important that the private sector steps in, but government has got to let go of trying to control things. So even those areas where there's notionally been public-private cooperation, Government still doggedly refuses to let go of the of the elements of control, and so your public-private option is not going to work if the public uh, sector, if the private sector, is just being treated as uh, a sort of also ran. You've got to allow them to be able to step in. And ports are a very good example, Mandy. The most successful ports around the world, whether they Hamburg, um, whether they Rotterdam, whether they even ports on the continent like the ports of Berbera. And uh, in Kenya, um, the, the port of Mombasa, these are all public-private partnerships where Dubai Ports World and international ports agencies are in there driving up efficiency, ensuring you get more revenue coming through and making sure that they're successful. So I see the solution here as definitely uh, being private sector-led. 
But that means that government's got to let go. It can't continue to run a monopoly like they are with Eskom and like they are with Portnet and Transnet and expect the situation to get better. It's not right. going to get better until they let go. John, thank you very much. Uh, John Steenhazen is the leader of the Democratic Alliance. He is in Durban at the moment, the port of Durban, conducting an oversight visit uh, by a helicopter, having a look there. Um, for those of you who are retailers, what has the impact been for you, the fact that you haven't been able to get containers in, you haven't been able to get stock in? What are your expectations of what's going to happen here? And do you think that public-private partnerships other other way. Um, I know that there is really good work happening within the presidency in terms of dealing with Transnet, uh, in terms of dealing with, with the ports as well. Um, but but this needs to happen in a hurry. We can't afford to have a situation like this at Richards Bay, at Durban, because we will see people going and, and uh, we will see uh, businesses going to other ports on the continent. And there's going to be a knock-on effect when we're trying to get the economy moving. We're trying to create jobs. It really is concerning. And now, it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. 12.26 on the Midday Report. We have been speaking extensively about the allegations against uh, various banks about RAND manipulation and the importance of bringing those responsible to justice. We know that there has been uh, some uh, agreements made and some uh, fines that have been paid by Standard Chartered, as an example. Well, earlier today, Sim Shabalala, the CEO of the Standard Bank Group, was on with my colleague Bongani Bingwa on 7.02, and he's written a very interesting op-ed about... Uh, the importance of uh, making sure that we are seeing this process underway. Uh, Standard Bank, of course, has denied that it in any way was involved with uh, the RAND manipulation. But have a listen to what some Shabalala had to say. So this so-called then Forex cartel case, I mean, 28 banks initially implicated, the scale of what is being Im- investigated, the implications thereof, that's potentially huge. It's potentially huge, but its economic impact is de minimis, as the evidence uh, will have shown. Standard Chartered has admitted liability and will, on top of paying this 40-plus million rand, no doubt cooperate with the tribunal. You say if they do name names, your bank won't be on that list. Well, our position is very, very clear. We did extensive investigations, and we offered these up to the authorities, and we continue to remain open those conversations with them. We've looked at our call logs, we've looked at documentation, we've looked at people's calls, and I can tell you that our traders conduct themselves with impeccable rectitude, uh, as do our salesmen and women, uh, and we found no such evidence. And as I say, we offered this up to the authorities. I might just point out that if you read the opinion piece I, I wrote over the weekend, I make mention of a comment made by one of the most senior judges at the Competition Appeal Court, where he said, why have you got these guys here? They had nothing to do with this. Because there is no evidence. Now, if there was evidence, uh, I also point out, we always own up and we always take our medicine. But it's important for the 50,000 people that work for this great institution that they know that principles of natural justice will apply. Um, Where they are guilty of wrongdoing, we will act. Where they are not, we will protect them. Uh, It's very, very important that, that I make that point. It's also important to underscore that there is, at least internationally, if that kind of thing can happen um, at that scale internationally, the basic premise of a fix, uh, these illicit chats of traders to alert each other and coordinate trading activities, it shouldn't be all that surprising that it could happen 
within banks here, should it? It shouldn't, but we mustn't uh, suffer the fallacy of uh, drawing conclusions from matters that are irrelevant to South Africa. South Africa's got a very well-regulated and governed uh, financial system. Um, and indeed, there was a report uh, post these events in October 2015, which, Bongos, I know that you suffer from insomnia. I'd recommend that you read it <laughs> by, by James Cross. It's a thorough analysis, and it's on the Saab website where they thoroughly analyze those events. It's worth reading. There's a second one, of course, if you still suffering from, from insomnia. This one is an econometrics one, uh, also on the Saab website issued on the 14th of November, where they analyze her behavior and this kind of thing. There is just no such evidence in respect of Standard Bank or the South African banks. And if there was, as I say, we would own it. Is it your position that if there were to be evidence unearthed of involvement by anyone working with your bank, that ultimately these would be perhaps rogue traders acting on their own? Yes, because nobody has any authority to enter into conversations with competitors on prices. Uh, not only is it a criminal thing to do, it's fairly stupid and our people are not. Um, we monitor their activities and as I've said to you, they are men and women of rectitude and we trust them. But if there was evidence that they had acted out of uh, malice or outside their mandate, we would act upon it. But as I say to you with confidence, there is no such evidence and we will protect them. Standard Bank CEO Simisha Balala speaking to my colleague Bongani Bingwa earlier today about allegations of rand manipulation. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good day, uh, Mandy. Thank you so much uh, for hosting the show once more. Um, I just want to comment about uh, the blockages at uh, the ports of entry the side of KZN. I think uh, what the president did last week Friday to go there with the public enterprises minister, uh, Pravin Kodan. I think it was just a, a media public stand. I think the president needs to, needs to fire Pravin Kodan uh, in order for us and the public uh, citizens to take him seriously. He cannot uh, continue with this minister who is failing from all sectors of the uh, state-owned enterprises. Thank you. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. How are you, Mandy? First, I don't understand when the, when it's winter, they tell us that we're not cheating and being stay six or eight. Now it's summer, it's too hot. They still tell me this day, the electricity is not uh, shady, can be six or eight stage. I don't understand. Something we don't understand. It's winter, they say stage six. Now it's summer, they say stage six. Now again, they say it's hot. It's like a corona. Corona is sitting there. They're, they're raising up. Now it's summer. You said they're raising up. Winter, they're raising up. My first thing, the one they say, they said no, Corona is in, in the winter. They said no, electricity on winter is going to stage six or eight. Now it's summer, still going to six or eight. I think you've just articulated what everyone feels about this. Is that people never understand this, right? Because when there's a lot of of, of uh, power demand during winter because everyone's cold and using heaters and things, then we go to a higher stage of load shedding and it's supposed to go lower in summer, but then everyone runs air conditioners. But everyone really? Because lots of people don't have access to that kind of thing. So I think that's why people are a bit confused about the situation. On the WhatsApp line, 
Sathya says, why does Stian Hazen undermine the president? Why did he have to go to Durban wasting money only? Do you think that there's value in John Stian Hazen going to the port of Durban and saying what he said to us a short while ago? Do you think there's value in the president going? As that first voice note said, and this is the question I asked last week, is uh, is it politicking? Is it electioneering when the president goes to municipalities that are broken, uh, like going to the Val, as an example, um, and going to, to that municipality like he did a couple of weeks ago? Is there value in him going to have a look at what's going on at the Port of Richards Bay. I think there is. I think that we need the president to go see firsthand just how severe the problems are. But then he has to do something about it. There has to be a release of the blockages. We have to make sure there's accountability, that there is uh, accountability management, that he does hold his cabinet ministers accountable. Uh, do you think Pravin Gordon should be the, the, the cabinet minister held accountable for that as the public enterprises minister? Should he go? Is there going to be that kind of accountability? Or are we just going to see lamenting about the situation. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Two cases that we are looking at uh, with uh, harrowing parallels, really. The one is that there has been an arrest for the murder of 21-year-old Santon, uh, sorry, a 21-year-old Santon student has been arrested for the rape and murder of the Joburg school teacher, Kirsten Clates. That happened at the weekend. I'll tell you about that. And then also there has been an arrest uh, for the murder of a Durban pastor, Liesel Diacha, who was found in the driveway of a home in Amazantoti in October 2021, a man arrested in connection with Diaga's murder. It's alleged the man is known to her family. It came two years after she was strangled. That man appearing in court today, Nklantla Mabaso in court for us. Nklantla, good afternoon to you. Thanks for, for your time. This court matter hasn't got underway yet, but tell us what we know about this arrest. Well, yes, indeed, Mandy. There was a bit of a confusion in the morning between, uh, you know, the state and journalists because a lot of us were camping at the debit magistrate's court for this matter. We then later found out it's coming here at Amanzilidoti. That's where we are currently waiting for this matter. Some cases have ran this particular court case and then courtroom, but we are waiting for one more until the particular uh, murder of the pastor. But we do know, Mandy, as it stands, speculation is very right that the arrested suspect is actually someone that may have been very close to the decisions. We do know many that this case was now, you know, a, a cold case. You'd recall that investigation started in October 2021, but then the police have confirmed that they've now made this particular arrest. We are expecting this matter to be in court any minute from now, Mandy, to see who is this person that police have been looking for for almost two years now, but also who has claimed a religious leader in this part of the province. We're expecting uh, the magistrate really, and uh, the media has now been granted that permission to film and then take photographs and record the proceedings. So we are hoping that we will be able to provide members of the public about this particular case. And we do know that as it stands, the charge that the person is facing is murder, but we are expecting the state to be having additional charges in this matter, in this matter case. Mandy. And Clancy, what else do we know about how this matter went from being a cold case to actually seeing this breakthrough? I understand that there was some involvement from um, a lobby group, Action Society as well. Yes, indeed, Mandy. Uh, but what we do know uh, from SABS is that this case was not, uh, moved, the investigations of this particular case, Mandy, were now taken from the uh, 
was already probing it and then it was given another unit within the subs. It's known as a cold case unit, Mandy. So it's part of their job to investigate such cases. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure whether it's called a cold, a cold case unit because it looks at cases that really have turned cold or not. But that particular unit was the one that managed to make this breakthrough, Mandy. And we are told that exactly two weeks after they took over the case, they were able to make this particular arrest. Sure, that's astonishing, Ntantla. Thank you very much. Ntantla Mabaso, EWN reporter, waiting for that court appearance in Amazon Toti. As he told us, uh, a person is going to be appearing, a 45-year-old man expected to appear. It's been two years since Liesl Diacha uh, was killed. She was found in the driveway of her Toti home in 2021 after her morning jog. So that's the one matter. It's so interesting that it goes from being a cold case and then in the matter of a fortnight, uh, a breakthrough is possible, which just makes you wonder about what the police were doing in the interim. Um, But police have been quick to arrest a 21-year-old Santon student for the rape and murder of the Joburg school teacher, Kirsten Kletz. Uh, It is understood, though, that that the man was tracked with the help of a security company as well that has been investigating this matter. Of course, um, she was killed while running in Santon during an organised run as well at the George Lear Park. And the Gauteng Police Commissioner has commended the detectives who managed to crack the murder case. So that appears is going to happen tomorrow in the Alexander Alexandra Magistrates Court. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m. Well, let's take a look at the weather situation now. That heat wave in Joburg really is affecting everyone. It's been boiling hot in Joburg. Also driving a, a spike in demand for electricity. I know that we've been uh, joking about the fact that whenever they tell us it's winter, the, uh, the load shedding goes up. Whenever they tell us it's summer, it's not supposed to, but the load shedding goes up. Uh, and it looks like that heat is going to be around for a few days still. Meanwhile, in the Cape, the NSRI, the National Sea Rescue Institute, has been warning coastal bathers to be aware of dangerous swimming conditions and that is because of a, uh, a riptide, a full moon spring high tide uh, is uh, the, the issue there. Craig Lambanon, NSRI spokesperson joining us. Craig, as always, thank you so much uh, for your time today. What are your concerns about uh, the full moon and the impact of that? Thanks very much. So yeah, yesterday we were actually right. Um, we did check with all of the authorities before we put out that alert. Uh, knowing that uh, the beaches were full yesterday, pretty much around the whole coastline, and knowing that high tide and the full moon spring peak of the high tide was going to happen at about between 2 and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, depending where you were around the coast, because tides are different everywhere. Uh, the, 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 the high tide and the low tide times are slightly different and also slightly different each day. But we knew that there was going to be a receding high tide towards low tide in the late afternoon, and with all those bathers on the beach, we put out that urgent alert, and we have to commend all of you for your efforts in getting that alert out. I believe by midday yesterday, pretty much every corner of the country uh, had that alert, and it, without a doubt, saved lives yesterday. We can be very, very proud of that. And uh, how long do you expect uh, this alert to be out for? How long should people be concerned about that tide for? Yeah, so the, the spring tide will last pretty much. The, the effects of the spring tide is going to gradually start getting uh, 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 lower and lower in the uh, uh, urgency of the alert as the week progresses, uh, probably till about Thursday. 
but and today high tide uh, will peak uh, sort of between sort of three and four pm, um, uh, depending which part of the coast you're on. Uh, but again, it, it remains an alert. But you know we've got to be careful here because uh, rip currents are unpredictable. The sea is unpredictable. So it, you know it's sometimes when there isn't a spring tide, you have very strong rip currents. So we continue to appeal to the public: swim at beaches where and when the lifeguards are on duty, in between the safer demarcated swimming zones that they post, using those red and yellow flags. Obey their instructions, and parents make sure that you've got responsible adult supervision for your children around any water, whether it's inland, coastal waters, even your swimming pool at home, that should have a cloak of safety around it. Craig, thank you so much. Craig Lambin on the NSRI spokesperson speaking to us there about that alert that has gone out uh, about the full moon spring high tide. So that's the situation with uh, the coast and concerns there. Uh, inland uh, around Gauteng and other provinces as well, lots of concern around this heat wave that we've been seeing, which is expected to continue. Weather service forecaster Elizabeth Fulion joining us to speak about that. Elizabeth, thank you for, for your time. Uh, this heat wave has been going on for a while now. It looks like it's going to continue for, for another day. Hi, good afternoon, Mandy, and thank you so much for having me on your show. So, yes, indeed, this heat wave has been around now for quite a few days, and we are expecting it to continue today as well as tomorrow. So, some good news is we do have some possible afternoon thunderstorms this later this afternoon, so that will bring a bit of relief. And then tomorrow, better chances of thunderstorms. So, that is looking at about a 60% chance, so scattered showers and thunder showers will be around tomorrow afternoon. However, with that, we are expecting some of these to possibly be severe. So we do need to be alert of that. So that could be devastating in some areas if these do turn severe because of a possibility of some strong and damaging winds mainly expected to be associated with these storms. But that will bring a bit of relief from the temperatures being so high. So temperatures will reduce after that. So we do expect temperatures to lower from tomorrow. So that will be the last day of this heat wave. By Wednesday, further cooling is expected as well as on Thursday. So that is good news. But then we do unfortunately see a start of increasing temperatures once again. So by Friday, we're looking at the high 20s again. And into Saturday, we could even see this heat wave start up again. So that looks like we are seeing a possibility to return to heat wave conditions from Saturday into early next week, unfortunately. We haven't issued anything official at this stage. We're going to just keep an eye and then we will see if we do need to once again go into those heat wave criteria. So that's mainly forecasting. Down in the south, so in the Cape, we are expecting very different conditions down there. Temperatures only reaching high of about 27 today in the Mother City, down tomorrow at a high of 24. Wednesday up again to 29. Thursday, quite warm at 32, but Friday only expecting a high of 25 degrees in Cape Town. Elizabeth, thank you so much. A very comprehensive uh, weather report from Elizabeth Fullion there. So that's the situation in the Cape uh, where you've been warned about a full moon spring high tide and the weather in the Cape. And then, of course, in Gauteng, uh, that uh, heat wave uh, going to continue until tomorrow. And then we're going to see thunder showers and temps coming down and then temps going back up again. So no alerts issued just yet. But as Elizabeth says, they are keeping an eye on it. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk.
Breaking news coming out of the High Court in Johannesburg. The Democratic Alliance in Joburg has uh, claimed a, a victory um, because a decision there uh, upholding, uh, upholding, apologies, the decision by the High Court relating to the city manager Floyd Brink. We know that he took that decision on appeal. He applied for leave to appeal. Judge Stephen Budlinder uh, dismissing the leave to appeal, doing so with costs of two counsel as well. The DA has just put out a statement saying Floyd Brink's un- constitutional appointment upheld in another DA court victory. So we know that he was in that position pending this decision. So now it seems, and we'll get clarity on this, that the appointment of the city manager uh, is uh, invalid. So we do not have a city manager is my understanding of it. I could be corrected on that, uh, but we have been waiting for this decision. So what will happen now? Um, So we'll try and get clarity on that uh, throughout the afternoon, what happens. But uh, the High Court in Johannesburg upholding that decision relating to the city manager, Floyd Brunk. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Mandy, it, the banks are so well regulated. Why would four of our big banks be involved uh, or be found wanting when it comes to this particular issue? That in itself shows a failure of regulation. The second one is, I seem to recall a discussion, not sure whether it was on this radio station or elsewhere, where whoever the guest was indicated that the volumes of transactions in South Africa are so large that even the FIC can only, with a measure of certainty, confirm that it's able to track only 1% of the transactions per day. That is not well regulated to me. Hi, Mandy. Good afternoon. It's Patty from Spadeview. I think Stan Hazen, he is entitled as a politician, okay? At the same time, we should not forget this is another campaigning. Malema can do that as, as well. So, yeah, that's how it goes. Thank you. Oh, I'm under no illusion at all that uh, this is also part of the, the campaigning. Um, the fact that John Stienhausen is, is looking at this issue and the DA is looking at this issue um, and is highlighting it uh, because uh, it, we are in election season. Everything that, that happens in this country over the next uh, six to eight months has to be viewed through the prism of the elections next year. So I'm not surprised at all. Um, and, and I think we're going to expect a lot more of this is that these hotspot areas and uh, these issues uh, that are affecting the the country are going to be election issues. I've got no doubt about that. On the issue of the banks, my understanding is that uh, this case is ongoing um, in, in the court around at the Competition Commission um, is looking at 28 banks. As far as I know, it's only been Standard Chartered and City, I think, that have um, have uh, paid fines on, on this matter. Um, and Standard Bank here and other banks are flat denying that there was any kind of wrongdoing on their part. And the point that Simshabalala has been making is that we do have a very uh, strong and effective efficient banking system in this country. And I think uh, it pains to point out that we don't need to be alarmist around this. Uh, And that was the message that I got from him in that interview that we played earlier today. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. On 702 and Cape Talk. Plenty of sport taking place uh, this weekend. Uh, football, golf. Uh, Mawande Mateza, EWN sports reporter, joining us. Mawande, you were at, uh, at the Houghton for the Joburg Open. Uh, good afternoon, Mandy. Yeah, I was yesterday uh, and just uh, over the weekend as well. 
what a phenomenal event to be a part of. Um, really, really well organized. And I think we got to see some high quality golf and a lot of drama, especially yesterday. Um, uh, just the Lawrence made things interesting. However, I don't think you will have enjoyed the round that he played yesterday. Uh, he had a nightmare round. I think a lot of people who went there to watch yesterday were expecting him to cruise to victory, having led uh, going into the final round, had led it after the first round as well. However, he had a nightmare, uh, carded a five over par round in the final round, ended up uh, falling out of contention and handing basically the tournament over and the title to Dean Thomas, who ended up winning uh, yesterday. And Mwande, uh, lots of football, both local and uh, in England as well. What were your highlights? Um, I have to say, as an Arsenal supporter, that would be my highlight. However, I have to point out, you know, uh, some results that have uh, stood out was the defeat of Tottenham yesterday. A uh, little bit of a concern for Spurs fans, especially considering after their third consecutive loss, having undefeated in the season previously. Uh, there's also the 4-1 loss that Chelsea suffered at the hands of Newcastle. At least for them, they always step one step back forward and three steps back. Uh, that will be a very, very big concern. And for Manchester United as well, having gone on and won uh, against Everton yesterday was uh, a special consecutive uh, victory. So they seem to be doing well at Ericsson Hagen. I think quite some of the doubters that were there previously. And of course, then we had the one run between Manchester City and Liverpool. A little bit of a disappointing result for my mind. High quality game. However, one of, with those big, big games, I would always like to see a winner. Uh, but yeah, I suppose it kind of happened always uh, my way. Uh, and uh, a victory for Chiefs. Yes. However, um, there doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be all rosy at Kaiser Chiefs. Uh, the victory, I think, would have helped quiet some of the uh, allegations and the rumours uh, down that have uh, surfaced over the past week. The rumours of uh, a Jamilian Kuna club captain arriving at training uh, intoxicated, as well as uh, the uh, r- uh, reports of divisions, uh, racial divisions in the squad between colours and the black players. Not something that Chiefs fans want to hear. Uh, but sometimes winning uh, does help to quiet those things down. And I think over the next week or so, uh, we'll be hearing a lot from the officials from the club itself uh, and uh, as details emerge from that. But I think the victory very well deserves from Kevin Johnson and his. I think they've been working hard over the international break, especially also because they've had so many of their players together in the group. Uh, and I think, yeah, mm. he's a very, very good uh, result. Mawande, thank you very much. Mawande Mateza, EWN Sports Reporter, wrapping up uh, the weekend of sport there. Apologies, not a, not a great line, uh, but very important things that Mawande had to tell us there. The Midday Report. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, still lots of attention on the uh, court, the Pretoria High Court, the Senzo Miyua trial, where there were fisty cups this morning. If you missed that report earlier, Khamoto uh, Modisa will tell you about it in EWN. But the accused and some of the warders uh, getting involved in a scuffle, a fight. There were some punches thrown. The judge getting very upset there as well about the, the situation. Uh, and that matter has been adjourned for now. Uh, but Khamoto will tell you all about that in Eyewitness News. So that's the one thing that we're looking Looking at and still the electricity situation. I think that's still something that a lot of people are concerned about. And Natasha Mabaso waiting for that court appearance in the Amandam Toti Magistrates Court today. A man appearing there uh, in connection with the murder of the pastor, Liesel Diacha. We're waiting for an identity to be released as well.